Common Knowledge Podcast. Just a man doing the best he can with what he got. And we are live. And yo, I am still around. I'm on my 51st episode. If you like the podcast, do your boy a favor. Go and subscribe. I'm not going anywhere. Like, it's on everywhere, so do that. But today, I got a special guest. Somebody I've been trying to get on the podcast for like about nine years, it seems like. And she is finally free. The founder of Super Smash Hoes. Man, I love saying that name. Like, I say it like nine times to myself. Super Smash Hoes. Foreen, how you doing? Okay, can you come do the intro for my podcast? That was amazing. <laughs> I'm so hyped. Holy. When I first started doing my podcast, I wanted to flex because I started ranking in Japan. So I wanted to flex. I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a picture of my podcast on Apple Podcasts and put it up there because I was like number uh, 42 or something like that. So I put it up there and right next to my podcast was your podcast says Super Smash Hoes. So I um, put it on Facebook like, yeah, look at me. I'm number 42. And my boy Chop was like, I kind of want to know what Super Smash Hoes is, though. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I do, too. So I went and I looked at it. I'm like, yo, this podcast is super dope, like dead ass. So let me give your roses on that because you are tackling some issues and enlightening me personally on some stuff that I never really even thought about, like dead ass. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think the name draws everyone in. They have no idea what to expect. And then they get there and they're like, oh, lots of feminism and social issues. I guess I'll stick around. What, what, I'll all right, look, let me get your roses again. Because that last podcast I listened to, the last one you updated, is it okay if I talk about it? Is it okay? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yo, the last podcast about the cum sponge, I was like, yo, <laughs> dead ass, as a guy, I kind of mysticized the vagina. Like, dead, dead ass, because I don't know mm-hmm. that much, but it's not that I don't want to know. It's just I never thought about it. I never thought about cleaning yeah. up for women after sex. I, I just never thought about it. Like, dead ass. And that's why, like, and she said this, if we don't have women as founders of companies, if we don't have women creating products, we don't actually know what women need. And like, as a woman who's had penetrative sex, like, I always just thought like in the back of my head, oh, like, this is just something you deal with, like, whatever, your underwear is going to get a little wet, or like, you go and sit on the toilet for a little while. But like, no, you, you give women positions where they can design products for women. And you start to see solutions to all of these things that we thought we just had to deal with. It's amazing. That is the underlying issue that I took from like, yo, why we got nothing but dudes in charge of everything? Because <laughs> like I didn't know that that was a desire or a need. I'm like, yeah, me, me personally too. The wet spot, like we got to argue who sleep on the wet spot. If we had this technology, I knew about this earlier. We ain't got to argue about the wet spot no more because it's fixed. It's fixed. And there's so many issues like that. It's not just that one, but there's so many or like companies or startups where women are at the head of them. And they're designing solutions to things that even as a woman, I didn't realize it was an issue. I mean, I realized it was a discomfort, but I never thought like we could create something to solve it. I just thought, oh, like, you know, there's some things you live with. And then someone points out to you, hey, you could actually like create something to make your life easier. And you're like, oh, whoa. Yeah. Like, did you know this? This is like a random tangent, but you know, like airport wheelie suitcases, like the wheels on suitcases. That was invented, not by women, but technically for women. So suitcases were like trunks. They didn't have wheels on them when they were first invented. And the first suitcases that did have wheels on them were used predominantly by women when they were going on ships. And they were viewed as a very feminized thing when women would travel alone because they didn't have a man to hold their suitcase for that. 
and only women would use these and you know they were removable they were like removable wheels and it wasn't until like the late 80s until suitcase companies started like really pushing that like actually this doesn't have to be like just a woman's this thing is a smart idea like why don't we all use yeah. wheels on suitcases <laughs> yeah i mean look at any vintage movie the suitcases are handheld right they carry trunks because you got There's no a, wheels on a them. basket of manliness me carrying these suitcases because i'm so manly it's one thing that i've always like struggled to deal with there's so many stigmas that we throw upon women like yo to be a man you gotta do this to be a woman you gotta do this but it seems like anything professional we kind of left women out like i was taught that cooking that's a woman thing but when you go to chefs we kind of like bully women out of it is only a male dominated field people who are the head of, of like kitchens and stuff like that so i've always found that funny like mm -hmm. we'll say on one end that yo mm -mm, to be a man don't do this but when you get to the professional end of whatever we're saying don't do that because you're a man it's only men that dominate it it's always been like a weird exactly. contrast and it's also artistic right like when you see michelin stars and these amazing male chefs and they're viewed as an art as a talent but when mothers are cooking for their house it's just a domestic chore or a duty it's not viewed as an art form in the same way that when a chef at a restaurant cooks you know people view his work or his food as art but it's not it's not the same right your mom's chicken casserole isn't viewed as a piece of art I, but mom's chicken which, casserole is super dope by the way and loves chicken casserole oh. and you see the same in the fashion industry who are the heads of all of these you know louis vuitton gucci all of these brands that of course they create male lines but predominantly cater to women and you know create women's clothes women's fashion and it's a bunch of men i mean of course they have women working for their teams i understand it's not just every single person in those companies is men but at the top it is predominantly male dominated i'm gonna be playing the role of dumb guy right now because uh a lot of people have a lot of questions and i feel like you're the person person perfect person to answer them so <clears throat> on super smash show it says smashing the patriarchy one day at a time mm -hmm. so first question what is the patriarchy and why should it be smashed Okay, so I'm going to try to give you a non-technical answer, but the patriarchy is a social system where men are at the top and women and other groups who don't fall within the male-female binary are at the bottom. Now, that being said, I want to make something really clear. I think a lot of things that confuses people who aren't on board with feminism is when they hear the word patriarchy, and especially if they're a man, and they're, if they're a man who has struggled in any form of their life, they say, well, how can the patriarchy exist? Because I have gone through X, Y, and Z struggle, right? And an example I always give is the patriarchy isn't black and white. So we have to bring in this other lens of intersectionality. And intersectionality basically posits that gender isn't the only way to understand the world. Gender interacts with race, it intersects with class, it intersects with disability. So now if we look at the patriarchy and we say, Okay, we recognize that men can still experience, you know, really traumatic things in their lives. So a really good example is black men. I've had a lot of black men say to me, you know, well, the patriarchy isn't real because I have struggled a lot in my life and I'm not discounting that. You absolutely have. And if you look at the patriarchy and you use an intersectional lens, white men are at the top and white men can oppress, you know, men of different races and different classes. But those men have their own relationship to women in their different, you know, race or class groups. So it's not saying that all men are on an equal footing and are all 
equally, you know, doing well and all equally better than women. But it's recognizing that men hold a different position in society than women do. And that is generally a position that is better, right? But it's obviously more nuanced and black and white than all men are up here and all women are down here. There's layers. I hope that wasn't too technical. On point. I tell people it's layers to it. And I think people use the exception instead of the norm to try to point. But what about this? But see, I'm a black man. So now it don't it doesn't really exist. And it kind of gets weird. It's like I had the same argument when I try to tell my white homies about white privilege. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. yeah. I always tell them it's gonna be hard for me to explain to you white privilege because I know you've been through suffering, you know, you're poor and you're like, well, I ain't got no mm-hmm. inept privilege by being white. I'm like, but you do, you, you do. And it's kind of hard for me you to do. explain. And you can't see that, right? Again, white privilege is one of those things. As a white person, you can't see or feel. And saying that someone has white privilege does not mean that they have nothing else going on in their life. It means that those things are not because of their race. It's not, you know, because of their whiteness that those other things in their life have caused them suffering. And everybody has privilege. We all have different privilege. It's, it's very, I don't know a single person who doesn't have some form of privilege. I'm a cis woman, right? Like I might be, I, I might be a POC and I might be a woman, but I'm cis. And that has so much, cis and straight, that has so much privilege with it. It does. It, it just absolutely does. So every person carries privilege. Like I think that's just, you have to get comfortable with acknowledging that we all have privilege and if you're if you get defensive about it when the conversation of privilege comes up then you're not understanding that it's something that everyone has we're just labeling the different types so so facts so many facts so why should we break down the patriarchy though doesn't the patriarchy have benefits like check it out if i'm taking you out to dinner you don't have to pay for it so yeah benefit of the patriarchy right right well, I mean, I would like to be making enough money that I don't have to be relying on somebody to buy me dinner. But the other thing is, and I've said this, and I've the dinner thing is an interesting debate that I've had with a lot of my friends about whether or not as feminists, we should let men pay for our dinner. And some of my friends have been like, no, 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 we don't make enough money. They can pay for our dinner, right? Like it balances out. And I always said, I get that in theory. And I want to pay, not because I feel like it's fair. Obviously I do make less, I want to pay because I feel like if I don't, then I have this social expectation that I have to sleep with you at the end of the night. You're big it And it's like, it's like, and then I think about it. Why do I think that? That's fucked up that I think, oh, I need to pay for my half of the dinner or else it's implied that I will sleep with you for you. Like, this is an exchange. You buy me food and I sleep with you, right? Like, think about that. Or like, guys will tell me, oh, well, you know, the patriarchy is not all that bad because girls got into the club for free and like we have to pay five pounds. And I'm like, our bodies, our literal bodies are being objectified. We are being broken down into our sex value, our appeal. We are literally being like, you are being brought into this club for free based on the worth of our bodies as like something you can take home. Does that really sound good to you? Like you're just thinking about it from, oh, you don't have to pay to get in. But have you thought about the fact that we got reduced to simply being something fuckable that a patron can take home with them at the end of the night? That's literally what it is. As a DJ, right? I've always like struggled with the woman get in free type thing. For one part, because a totally capitalistic view, that kind of cuts into my money. 
that I take home at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. I'm like, look, everybody need to be paying to get in this damn club because I don't want to hear that you don't have my cut at the end of the night. Like, that's the first thing, right? So I'm like, everybody needs to pay. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, you're right, we reduce the the benefit of having women there is just something that's pretty much fuckable. Dudes are simple. We're so simple. If if the women are there, then we're popping up there. And you know why, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because then you, your chance of going home with someone. Nobody wants to go to a sausage party. You want to go somewhere where there's tons of girls. You So the owner or whoever is letting us in for free, well, they're making a capitalist decision. They're making an economic decision. Okay, well, we'll have more guys coming in, more people buying drinks, more what guys buying girls drinks, whatever. If there are enough girls in here where it entices men to come in. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And I, once again, I say this all the time. I'm gonna say it here and it always gets me in trouble. And you can disagree with me. This is my personal opinion. It's because uh, I have to tell myself all the time, women are people. Even marriage. Marriage was never about love. It was just about possessing women. And you disagree. This is my personal opinion. Absolutely, I agree with you. But So I can't remember who said the quote, but one of my favorite quotes, and I'm stupid of me, I can't remember, but she says, marriage is just a form of legalized prostitution. Because if you think about it, why did women get married? Well, because, you know, especially in throughout history, women were unable to own property. Mm-hmm. Women could not inherit anything. A, a woman's life was based on her father's life. And when her father can no longer provide for her, her best way to have financial security is to marry someone. And so that trade-off, financial security for marriage, is, is it not akin to prostitution? You're selling your body, you're selling you know, your person for a, for a form of financial security. And you know, with marriage, you get a lot of benefits. Uh, women get a lot of benefits, especially throughout history, that they would not be able to access before. And so while it's also about, while it is about owning women, it is also for women a necessary evil in order to obtain something as simple as financial security. Like to me, that boggles my mind. In order for a woman not to be, you know, in despair, she has to be married. And obviously things are changed in our society now, but it's the foundation of marriage was that, right? You can't have women alone I mean, if you actually look at American history uh, in California, if I'm not mistaken, women weren't allowed to own property or sign for property until the 60s. So that's not mm-hmm. that far away that women weren't allowed to have bank accounts or to own property or to even work. You want to be honest. So and I get mad when I see people like I'm going to reopen this wound. You might not know who this guy is, but I got mad when people was listening to this guy on YouTube called Kevin Samuels, who was just dogging out women. I'm like, look, it's so many factors that go into why women are in the position they are right now. Because once again, I always say marriage wasn't about love, it was about possession. And we just like wanted mm-hmm. to possess women. So I got mad at that instance because we don't look at all the factors and all the hardship that women have just being a woman in general. Because once again, you're already told that you can't own property, you can't have a good job. And matter of fact, I get people get pissed off when I say this, but a woman taking my last name is stupid as hell. Like, I, I never understood that. Like, if we get married, you have to take my last name. It's just another way I could possess you. Okay, I raise you something to that because I have the same thought. I'm like, I don't want to take some man's, ma- uh, you know, last name in marriage. But then I'm still keeping my father's last, like, mm. and I've thought about this. And I have a great relationship with my father, but I, I also think about women who don't have a good relationship with their father no matter what choice I make, whether to take my partner's last name or to keep my maiden name, 
I am still identified through a man, am I not? Whether it's my father or my future partner. And the only like, you know, kind of middle ground I see here is you create this new last name, which is kind of uncharted territory. People don't really do that, do they? But at both sides, you're still some man's property. You know what? Which I think is very interesting. Kind of a cross section of that. I have a homie in Memphis who killed his last name because it was the slave owner's name, which is like as a black guy, that's the thing, right? I know Johnson came from the master. I love my granddad. He, he was William Johnson. And I just feel like I'm going to ride out with Johnson for him. <laughs> like, I, yeah. But it's something I do deal with too. Yeah, but we're not individuals. We have families. We have people we care about. Our decisions will have repercussions, right? So whether or not I like that, oh, this last name signifies that really I'm under my dad's domain. It also signifies family in a way. Whether or not we like that patriarchal nuclear family model, it still represents family. So it is, it is a weird one. And I've thought about it a lot. I thought, I don't want to take a partner's name. I don't know if I want to keep this name, but I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I do love my family. It is, it's such an interesting thing. And that's another tangent. But a reason that I love feminism is that there are so many issues like this, you know, like last names that different people have different opinions on, or, you know, they might also have the same feeling of confusion, but they approach their solution to it differently and they try to make it work in this system that is, you know, overarching, it's a patriarchy. And we find small ways, and they could be, they're completely different ways, different people, some people hyphenate them, people create a new name, whatever. But I think the ingenuity of feminists to create small solutions to our everyday struggles, it inspires me so much. Yo, what's up, DJ L Spade, Common Knowledge Podcast. If you like my podcast, maybe you'll like my music too. I humbly ask that you go listen to my music on Spotify, Apple Music, or other music streaming service providers. Thank you. Why do you think it's such a pejorative label on the word feminism? Like I tell people all the time when they say, are you a feminist? I'm like, yeah, technically I'm a feminist. Yeah, I, I rock with feminism. But why do you think it has such a negative stigma now? Because when people hear feminist, it's all these triggering actions that come in. Oh my God, here go another feminist. Oh, killing the society. Mm -hmm. It's a trigger word for people. I mean, especially in Japan. I, I think it's everywhere, not just Japan. But in Japan, I noticed, you know, it's the F word. You don't say it. You just don't. To say you're a feminist means you're some psycho who imported ideas from the West. But everywhere in the world, feminism obviously has a bad taste to it. And I think part of it is people don't understand what feminism is, right? I think a lot of people think it's misandry, man-hating. And it's not. But I understand why some people, especially recently, when we point out things like white privilege or male privilege, conflate that with, well, you hate men or you hate all white men. It's like, no, I am pointing out this issue and this group that has systematically oppressed me. I, that doesn't mean I hate every single person in that group, but I am pointing out that there is a lot of issues here. And I think that, you know, people can be defensive. People don't like to hear negative things about them or their group, right? And I think that that can be a huge turnoff if you're saying, look, as feminists, we're pointing out that men have dominated women and have created so much inequality, particularly white men. Well, that turns off so many people, right? And that's automatically going to trigger, oh, well, you just hate all of us. Definitely. Okay, off a segue, but piggybacking on what you just said uh, about feminism definitely being a pejorative term here in Japan. 
just recently, August the 6th, there was a big femicide incident in Japan where a Japanese man went on a stabbing spree on the Otaku line. And the story was basically a 36 year old man who wasn't having any luck on dating apps or dating women had enough apparently and went on the train and was looking for quote unquote happy women to kill any woman that looked happy he wanted to kill and before we dip into it i want to say that i had so many problems with even looking at this story like i was looking at this story to do research to see what happened and i struggled because they were really humanizing this guy a little too much like for me it was like you say dude's an asshole and let's move on dude and stabbed like 10 people but they kept on coming from the angle of well he had no no hope and he tried so many times to to date and frustrated with it all he decided to i'm like why are we like superhumanizing this guy instead of saying yo this asshole went out and stabbed women well, I'm going to start with femicide because I think some people might not know what it is. I mean, it might be obvious based on how it sounds, genocide, femicide. But like simply put, because you mentioned it earlier, femicide is the killing of women and girls because of their gender. So it is, you know, a killing targeted by gender. There's no other. I mean, there can be other reasons, but it, the predominant reason is gender. And this is something that happens all around the world. Right. So I don't know. If you were on Instagram last year during the pandemic, there was a huge viral hashtag that went challenge accepted. Um, and it was in response to a femicide that happened in Turkey last year of a 27 year old woman. There's, you know, the murdered and missing indigenous women in Canada that is a national femicide, and the US, a national femicide. We have honor killings, we have dowry killings. So I just wanna, I wanna start by saying femicides is a global, global issue. And now referring to this, what happened this past, last week in Japan, when I was researching stuff, I was really frustrated. Like, I'm just going to be honest. I'm like, I was really frustrated because what I saw was all these articles from, from news sources like NHK, BBC, Japan Times, mul routers, multiple places. And basically the gist of it was this man did this because he hated women and he didn't like to see them happy, right? That was the story. And I said, okay, so you're identifying an issue here. He hated women. Are we not going to dig into how this is a societal issue, how this is something that we let happen? But there was, I didn't see any discussion further to this is why he did it, but no analysis of what that means and how that's a larger byproduct of the culture he lives in uh, or he lived in. Um, so that is something that really, really frustrated me about this whole thing. Because this is a story about misogyny, it's about sexism, and it's a, it's a story about deep, deep hatred of women, and it's not being discussed as that. Hey, you hit the nail on the head. Um, when I was doing the research for this, I was shocked to find out that 35% of all women who are murdered is femicide. And the most dangerous place for a woman to be is in her own house, in most cases. And that mm -hmm. was just like totally shocking. Also, the honor killing was a thing to me too, like a lot of killings for honor. And uh, it happened everywhere, but in the Middle East predominantly, because once the woman mm -hmm. is defiled and lost her virginity, she's no good. You got to throw her away and get a new one. It's like, yo, a, a lot of this, you're right. We don't dive into why this is a problem. The hierarchy in Japan seems like it's company is first, company is God. Then after that, man, yes. 
then after that, house cat, maybe the dog, then woman. And it's not really addressed. There's so much sexual repression and sexual anger pent up here. And you can kind of tell because everywhere you go in the convenience stores, it's like porno magazines and hentai anime. It's like, yo, this country is in desperate need of a sexual revolution, like dead ass. I think, you know, nobody is under the illusion that Japan is not struggling with gender equality. I think people are so aware. I mean, like you just said, there's a hypersexualization on the one end, right? Like the kids' cartoons are walking around with double Ds, <laughs> bouncing around, four magazines in 7-Eleven. I mean, I think everybody understands that there is a fundamental issue with how Japanese society views and objectifies women. But I think the issue is, I think they misunderstand the actual gravity of that. Like, it's almost like, oh yeah, quirky Japan with its sexual fetishes. But like, people just kind of brush it off. But like, as this innocent thing that doesn't have these lasting consequences. But the issue is this continued representation of women as sex objects leads to a like an understanding of women, a genuine understanding of women held by men, real life men who perceive women as being sex objects because that's what they're seeing around them, right? And we're so quick to just say, oh, silly Japan, people there, you know, sex fetishes and all the weird things they do. You can buy panties and people always talk about weird stuff you can do in Japan with me. And I'm like, it's always so joking for them. And I'm like, I, I don't think you understand that this is a real issue that contributes to how women in that society are perceived. I'm guilty of that, by the way. I'm, I'm not I'm not even gonna lie. Like, I'm not gonna pretend like I'm super virtuous. I am guilty of that. When I first came to Japan, I heard about how they were selling women's underwear. And I didn't believe it. I'm like, man, hell nah. They slanging women's underwear? Let me go see. So I went to Akihabara and I went to the fourth floor of this sex shop. And sure enough, there it was. Yeah, and I'm not gonna lie. I went to visit all those places when I was in Japan. I was intrigued, you know, and you know, you go to May cafes, you do all of these things. And it's almost like you kind of have an acknowledgement that it's fucked up, but you're kind of like, it's not that fucked up. Like you're like, oh, it's weird, right? Like, I think everybody can agree it's weird. And I think that's as far as our brain goes with that. But the more we sit there and we think about, God, imagine being a kid growing up in that culture and constantly being exposed to this type of imagery. Now, I'm not saying that kids in any other culture aren't exposed to bad imagery of women. They absolutely are. But if you've ever been to Japan, you know that it is almost like what every other country has, but on steroids, right? There's lots of bad representations of women in Hollywood media and American media that sexualize women. You know, the classic magazine advert of a girl selling perfume naked. Terrible representation of women. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in other places, but Japan is like, again, on steroids. And it's just that thing that people, I don't think, interrogate enough the consequences, right? They're like, yeah, it's fucked up, but they don't think about the exposure for 20 years, what that does to a person and what that does to them, their view of women. Well, going to this guy who went on the train to actually just hunt down happy women. And he said the mm -hmm. reason why is he tried to get on the dating apps and he tried to talk to women and all the women kept turning him down now once again i'm not trying to humanize this guy but i said this on a previous podcast yes i am previous podcast guy now i apologize but <laughs> on a previous podcast i said that one thing the day naps did it made it easier for rejection because now all you gotta do is swipe left like you don't get a chance to see my winning personality and charm uh there was a absolutely there was a big incident i want to say like five years ago where they were saying the dating apps were pretty much racist because they made you put your race and gender and your height and stuff like that. But now they're taking off the race and stuff like that. 
But I mean, people still write in their bio, no fatties, no Asians, no black, right? People still write that part, right? Okay, so I think dating app, and it's not just to women, but it does this for both genders. It commodifies dating, right? Mm -hmm. It commodifies bodies. We're just like, it's it's all like Tinder, Bumble, it's all looks based. So we're literally commodifying and packaging people. And this is for, I'm not, this isn't just women, right? Women are doing this to men, men are doing this to women. Goes both ways. Now in society where we're already viewing women as these kind of objects and we're further viewing them as this on a dating app, I think it also interplays with this, like, especially what happened with this case in Japan. There is this idea that women owe you something or owe you sex in particular, right? And that's where you get incels coming in. And I think with dating apps, there's almost this like idea of like, right, there's so many of them on here. I'm bad. I deserve, or I am, I rightfully have access to these people on this app because they're here and they want to date, right? People have dating apps because they want to date. So it's like part of you is confused because you're like, these are women who are available and are seeking something and I deserve that something. So I think that plays into it. I don't know if I explained that very well, but I think it also goes hand in hand with that incel mentality where like women owe me something and I rightfully am entitled to that and to their bodies. And if they're on a dating app, they're clearly saying- She definitely wants well, it. I, am, I mean, come on. Yeah, she definitely wants it. So why is nobody swiping on me? And this incel behavior, and I think in Japan, like you have hikikomori and like neets. And like, obviously those aren't gender terms. Like incel is like incel is referring to men, you know? But hikikomori needs aren't necessarily men. But 80%, I think I read, of hikikomori are actually male. But And I think that plays a part when you're so socially withdrawn, when your consumption of women comes through the media, particularly the Japanese media, which is sexualizes them and objectifies them. And then further, you're on these apps. It, it's just, it's all a snowball of how you view women and how you also view their role towards you, right? Like you said earlier in this podcast, you have to remind yourself sometimes women are people too. These men have forgotten that women are people and they think women owe me X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I've always got pushed back against the notion of, um, I bought you a drink, I bought you dinner. Like, y'all, see, like, it, and I hate that whole stigma. Like, look, man, I'll pay $200 for a meal. We got to be fucking. It's like, yo, dude, come on. Like, like I, I, me personally, I approach dating as it may be a little selfish, but it's kept me out of trouble. I approach dating like it ain't for you, it's for me. I'm doing something mm-hmm. I want to do. Uh, so, like, and you're just coming along with me. Um, like, mm-hmm. I feel like if I'm doing something, I'm doing it for me, and you're just there so we can, like, hang out and have time. You don't have to be there. I don't owe you anything. You don't owe me anything. So at the end of the night, I'm not expecting anything. And that's how I approach it. So it kind of keeps me out of trouble. Maybe a totally selfish way of looking at it. But like when I go to the club, I ain't buying no drinks because I don't want you to think that you owe me something. And I don't want to feel like I owe you something. No, I think that's absolutely a fair way to approach it. Especially if you go into this, like, I'm not looking for anything from you. I'm here to have a good time. This is an event. This is a thing that I'm going to enjoy doing, whether or not you're here. So at the end of the night, I had fun whether or not you want this to go exactly. anyway, right? I'm doing something that I enjoy. It's going to be fun for me. But yeah, I just think it's very interesting that one of the things that bothered this man was that the woman looked happy. Looked happy. And it goes back to this idea of 
men expecting women to act in certain ways that cater to them. Yeah, smile. Right? Why are you not smiling, woman? Smile. <laughs> angry woman. If, if a woman's too angry, she's too bossy. If a woman's too happy, it, it, it's like there's no way to win in that situation. I'm not gonna lie. I did that when I was younger too. Like, oh, come on, smile, girl. Why are you so mad? I'm like, yo, mm -hmm. that's super problematic. As I got older and I realized that. And uh, you touched on incels. Can you kind of explain what an incel is? A lot of guys don't know what an incel is. Oh yeah. I think if I'm correct, incel stands for involuntary celibate. So it's somebody who wants to have sex, but they cannot. Um, and I think in pop culture, I'm not saying that this is what all incels are like, but in pop culture, an incel is usually depicted as, you know, the stereotypical person who's quite withdrawn, socially isolated, you know, they spend a lot of time on online forums like Reddit, they play a lot of virtual video games and all of that, doing any of those things doesn't make you an incel, don't twist my words, people. I'm saying pop culture stereotypes depict it like this, right? You, I go on Reddit, I play my Nintendo Switch, I'm not an incel. But it's this, it's these people who, particularly men, I, I think, yeah, incels are all men, sorry, who can't have sex, not because they physically can't, but because nobody will have sex with them. And they blame that on women, as if they're entitled, sorry, to have women fuck them. They blame all of their misfortune in life on the fact that they cannot get laid, which to me is really problematic on countless fronts. One, it, it indicates that there is some mental health issues here because if sex is the most important thing in your life, you gotta reevaluate. That is just on the board for whoever, you know, there are more important things in life than sex. Sex is great, <gasps> but it's not the most important thing in life. I know, shocking, shocking. But then also like this idea that if women weren't so such feminists and if they weren't so this, they'd be giving it up to me and I'd be fucking them, right? Because that's kind of the insult mentality is that feminism has made it harder for them to fuck women because women can now say no, no which they couldn't afford too, which was heavily frowned upon. Well, I mean, it's consequences for you say no, then I got to grab your arm, but I like, come here, girl, don't take no for an answer. You know, come over here. Yeah. How dare you say no to me? Come on, let me show you this money I got in, in my, my mm -hmm. wares to entice you to, to give me that vagina. Me personally, I feel like somebody will fuck you. Well, it's not how you look, it's your personality, right? It's not how they look. It's the fact that these men don't respect other people. It has nothing to do with how you look. It has nothing to do with the fact that you game for 10 hours a day. It has nothing to do with the fact that any of that shit, like I don't care if you haven't showered in a few weeks, it has to do with the fact that you're acting like an absolute entitled prick. That's it, that's it. There's nothing else. Right. So you know? I, I kind of get mad about the incel thing. I'm blaming a woman. No, that's a you problem, my guy. Like you, you mm -hmm. need to find some way, work your jelly a little bit different, get on your game. Because <laughs> I don't know what you got going know. on. I don't know if you read this about the um, Tokyo Stabber, and I, I have his name here, and I'm going to say it because I think it's important to note, you know, people. So the attacker last Friday was Yusuke Tsushima. Tsushima yeah. And um, I actually read, and I only read this in two articles, so I don't know how, um, and the two articles were written by the same person, so I don't know how strong of evidence it is like how true it is. But those two articles both stated that he has actually had this feeling of wanting to kill happy women for over six, six years. years yeah. Now imagine festering with that feeling, letting that build for over six years, this deep, deep hatred, right? This isn't like I woke up someday and I was like, he 
very meticulously planned this. And this is something else that pisses me off is that I don't think we should take it lightly that this happened on a public commuter train because it was planned. First of all, he specifically said that he wanted to go on a train because, you know, a lot of people in a tight space and he chose an express train that made less stops Mm -hmm. because he could also wound more people. And the first, the very first episode of Super Smash Hose was about Chikan, which if you don't know, Chikan is sexual assault, which specifically happens on trains. And there's something really interesting to me about public spaces and women. It's something that fascinates me is that public spaces are meant for everybody, right? Public trains, commuter trains, malls, whatever. These are spaces that we as community members, as people living in a city are meant to share and feel safe in. Yet women do not feel safe in public spaces. I mean, the existence of Chikan, the fact that this happened on a train, the fact that women cannot comfortably, you know, be in spaces that are meant to be for a bunch of, for for the public safely is terrifying, right? And our only options are, okay, if you don't want to get hurt, go on a woman-only train, Uh, train car. Now imagine this man went on, you know, he wanted to kill happy women. What if he just got on the women-only train cart? I've seen men on there before. It's rare, but if it's a busy day, sometimes you get in the train cart, you can get in. I get it. It's fine. I'm not looking at every man who's on there like, what are you doing here, girls only? You assume the best in people. Maybe he was standing on that part of the platform, whatever. So imagine if this man was on that platform. He would have had all of his pickings, right? If he was on a women's-only train cart. And it just... The fact that public spaces are not accessible and are not safe for women is something that gets me so riled up. And I feel like all of our solutions as a society to the fact that public spaces aren't safe are creating like segregated women only spaces that then further put women in danger to crimes like this. Okay, you kind of hit me to my next uh, question. So we talked about the problem. What do you think the answer is? And I, I, I struggle with this and I know I don't have all the answers, but what do you think is a good solution for some of this, if any? Okay, this is that's so general. We've talked about a lot of things, like a solution to uh, like incels, a solution to like patriarchy broadly, solution to sexualization in general. I feel like there's a lot. Yeah, there is. You know, what? all right, let's pinpoint this. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, narrow this down a little bit. How about what is a solution to the patriarchy, like? smashing the patriarchy in general because i feel like if the patriarchy is smashed a lot of this other stuff and learned behavior will actually dissipate Mm -hmm. i don't think you know revolution happens overnight nobody nobody walks over to the building where the patriarchy is and has a coop this isn't like a government (laughs) right you don't don't topple a system that is embedded in everything we do overnight and the patriarchy is involved in so many things we do like in such like mundane ways that we don't even think about it. Like office temperatures are set based on male body types. Cars are crash tested with male weighted body dummies. So when women get in crashes, they're often more injured. There are so many tiny ways in which the patriarchy affects our day-to-day life, which like there is no easy way to think about how do we, you know, get rid of these small things. And the thing I worry a lot about is when we talk about smashing the patriarchy, we are not just talking about smashing the patriarchy and uplifting women, right? Because there's a whole other group of people 
that we are now leaving behind? And are we just going to create another system that oppresses a different marginalized group? What about trans and LGBTQ folks? What about refugees and immigrants? What about, you know, people from different class backgrounds? And so it's really hard to conceptualize how to smash the patriarchy when it's something that I feel like is more like a puzzle, right? Like it's fragmented and you can like make little cracks in the window. But I, I think in our lifetime, especially, I can't conceptualize a tearing down because it is so embedded in all of these like me mechanisms that we don't even really realize it's there. Like people are researching things and finding out, oh, hey, this weird way that we do things is actually informed by patriarchy. And like, we wouldn't have even known that if we didn't like have a woman researching this kind of thing. And I hate to say, like, I think like a cop-out being like, I don't have an answer for you because I don't, I don't know how we smash it. No, it's not a cop-out because I had the same issue when I was talking about, well, how do we, how do we kill racism? I'm like, damn, can we? Like, I always like, like, it's always going to Does it just around. move from one group to another? Yeah. I'm worried. Will it just, will we just deflect, you know, our racism from one group to another? Or will we deflect our sexism to, fine, okay, we, I, I think a lot of people in the West say this, oh, women are empowered. Look at all these white women CEOs, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. Okay, but what about trans women? What about black women? What about, you know, gay men? What, there's all of these different groups that it's like, okay, yes, your tokenized white woman is winning. Great. But what about the millions of other groups that are marginalized? That's a deflection idea. And to me, feminism isn't just about women. It, it, it isn't, okay, thank you for saying that. It isn't just about women. And I, I struggle with that myself because I see that a lot in the black community because I am a car carrying member of the black community um mm -hmm. and i see that a lot where a lot of my homies would be like yo man we gotta fight for racial equality we gotta fight for our rights but fuck the gays i'm like yo bruh bruh, <laughs> bruh. you don't see like on the venn diagram of suffering how <laughs> how you just like took all that oppression on us and just threw it on another group like bruh we can't be that like you you can't like it's so frustrating because I noticed like the struggle and the fight or even some of the same guys who would be like, yo, man, we got to fight for racial inequality and my woman better have a sandwich ready for me when I get home. Like, <laughs> and I don't know. That's the hard part. It's like juggling it and trying to get everything right at the same time. And I don't know if it's going to happen. I'm trying to find a quote here and one that I think is very fitting. And if I don't find it, I will just kind of like tell you from my mind what I kind of remember this quote to say. But if I can find it, I think it'll sound a lot better. Um, and it'll just sound a lot nicer and clean if I can actually read it for you. Um, and if I can't, you can clearly tell that I am stalling. <laughs> like, hey, we're killing that dead air, okay, guys. I found She's a pro. <laughs> so. This is actually by, this quote is by Alicia Garza, who is a co-founder of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think this quote, you know, really gets to the heart of what you're saying about why just one type of liberation isn't enough. So whether you're, you're advocating for Black liberation, trans, whatever one type of singular liberation you're advocating for isn't enough. And this quote explains why beautifully. So she goes, hashtag Black Lives Matter doesn't mean your life isn't important. It means that black lives, which are seen as without value within white supremacy, are important to your liberation. 
when Black people in this country are free, the benefits will be wide-reaching and transformative for society. When Black people get free, everybody gets free. And we can take that sentiment and we can say, okay, if we in any situation look at who is the most marginalized person in this situation, if we build our response to the most marginalized, if we help up with that person, then everybody else comes up with them, right? So there might be situations in which the, the point of reference isn't the Black man, but it's actually the Black trans woman. If we focus on how to empower her, the whole Black community gets uplifted because that's where you have that intersection of race and gender and class. And you look at things and you say, okay, this is why we can't just have a singular view of liberation. Because, you know, if you just say only racism is important, sexism isn't, then there's still going to be a whole group of Black people who are left behind. And that's not what you're, you know, what the goal is. Not what the goal shouldn't be. I think a lot of people try to like exclude some people out of there, but that shouldn't be the goal. Do you think it's purposeful? Yep. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, As a guy, I struggle with this. Um, I'm from the deep South and a lot of the homophobia is kind of ingrained in us. It's taught at a young age. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I didn't get over my homophobia until I actually went to the army and I was not to toot my own horn, toot, toot. But um, in basic training, I was the distinguished honor grad. And I never forget my battle buddy in the army, the guy that I slept in the tent with, dug trenches with, shot with, kicked my ass in combat training, like flipped me over and everything. At the end of it, he's like, yo, I'm gay. I'm like, huh? And for me, it was one of those moments like, wait, you supposed to be princing around in your pink little tutu. And I had to deal with, okay, there's some kind of cognitive dissonance going on where I'm like, yo, you're supposed to be wimpy, but you just kicked my ass. You just shot better than me. You did all this stuff with me. I just slept in the tank with you. You didn't rape me because a lot of my fear as a cisgender straight man comes from the fact that I think a man's going to treat me like I treat women, like bend me over and have his way with me. So that's where a lot of my fear mm-hmm. actually comes from when I broke it down. But all that's been dispelled. I already seen it. So like, yo, now I got to deal with, okay, I just have a fear of gay men because I'm scared they're going to treat me like I treat women. And once I realized that I had to treat women better for me personally, that's, that was my whole awakening because I was brought up in the church and that was another thing. Like my, um, uh, should I say this? I'm going to say it. Maybe she'd get mad. But uh, my girlfriend at the time in the church, she turned out to be gay. And that was another thing, mm-hmm. like, yo. And I had to deal with that. There's a whole bunch of stuff I had to deal with. And it came out to me like, look, I just got to change how, how I'm looking at things. So, yeah, I think it's ingrained and it's purposeful. Yeah, nobody is born this, like, perfect person that is socially progressive and knows everything, right? We just, we're not born that way because we're taught the opposite of that. And maybe we are born that way. But the minute we go to school, we're taught the very opposite. We're taught to divide. We're taught to, you know, categorize. Yes. You stick with your group, whatever that group is. And, you know, it's very hard to break down the things that you are taught. And it takes a lot of like critical thinking. It takes a lot of evaluation. It also takes a lot of like being uncomfortable with yourself and like being like, oh, this actually isn't a them issue. This is like a me issue. And like that stuff is hard to do. Like it is genuinely difficult. But I think it's really interesting, like what you said about your, um, your gay comrade and the fact that you had this perception that, oh, well, he's not in a pink tutu. Like, 
we have all these ideas about what it means to be a gay man, right? Or what it means to be a black woman or what it means to be a woman. And we have all of these stereotypical ideas. And when people don't act or conform to those ideas, our worldview is kind of like shaken a bit. Mm -hmm. And something that I, that really struck with me when I saw that, oh, you know, not all gay men are flamboyant, like, <laughs> you know, oh, I might start like, you know, like the stereotypical gay character on a TV. You start to understand that gender and gender expression and all of these things are very broad and very different. And they don't actually correlate to sexuality the way we have been taught by the gay TV one stereotype cookie cutter model we have of every gay person on every show. Yeah, I got so much I want to talk to you about, but I'm pushing up to an hour. I got to end it, but there's so much we got to talk about. I want to drill you about military stuff because I have lots of views on militaries <laughs> and gender and masculinity, but I won't do that right now. Oh my God, dude, you got to promise. Come back on the podcast. Seriously, like seriously, bro. Okay, I do. Bye. Every time my boyfriend's playing con, I'm like, did you know that the U.S. government paid millions of dollars to have these types of games invented to indoctrinate young boys? And he's like, shut up. Man, yeah, we got to talk about the NFL and how they paid. They had the advertisement in there just to indoctrinate young guys because they felt like that the next super soldier was going to be on the NFL field. Like, yo, we got so much to talk about. Like, Ooh, so okay, yeah, okay. Right? <laughs> so we zip it. Man, well, that's the Common Knowledge Podcast with the homie Farine from Super Smash Hoes. Can you please tell the people where to find you at? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Super Smash Hose Media, or if you just type Super Smash Hose on literally any kind of podcast streaming site, site app, you will find my podcast. Yo, I highly recommend listening to the one about the cum sponge. And I don't mind saying that because that's what y'all called it on the podcast. Listen yeah. to that one, dude. You will be enlightened. Like, seriously. <laughs>